You're listening to the Pimp Cron Podcast. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, to the Pimpcron Warhammer Podcast, episode number 38. Guess who I am? I give you one guest. My name is in the title. That's right. I'm Professor Podcast, and this is my podcast that I don't really know where I came up with Pimpcron. It's like just a weird thing. I don't, I was like, oh, pimp and like time. So that's chronometry. I, I don't know. But I'm Professor Podcast, and this is the Pimpcron Warhammer Podcast. Um, what are we talking about tonight? Well, you know, this is a very special episode for me because not only do we have a actual voicemail in the Tesseract mailbox because our Patreon patron Grendel is calling in and uh, weighing in on the Adeptus Titanicus, we also have our first legitimate uh, complete stranger that I am interviewing. And I'm super, super excited about it. It is madrobotminiatures.com. And the owner and operator, Steve, him and I talk about the whole casting process and how would you possibly get into an independent casting business and things like that, where, you know, how they design the sculpts and where he draws his inspiration from and all of that. We have an awesome chat. I was really happy to have him on. And just to clear the air and be on the level with you, I contacted him because I wanted to interview him. So this is not some sort of backwoods advertising bullshit. Like, he actually didn't know of me or of this podcast. So I contacted him, and we chatted. So this was not an advertising thing. But um, anyway, so we also have the... Well, here's an idea with McStorman, and we are trying to hide stuff. So basically, we try to brainstorm exactly where you can hide all of your Warhammer shit if you have a hot date coming over. And of course, it's all tongue-in-cheek, yada yada, you know. Um, nerdism is something to be ashamed of, haha. But um, we come up with some pretty good ideas. Dude, have you ever hidden your Warhammer in the back of the toilet? Like, I'm just... Just think about it for a second. You probably didn't come up with that idea, but guess what I did? And that's why you hired me for this podcast. What else are we talking about? Well, that's a want that or not with my brother Brew Brew, which, of course, that's not his real name. Uh, his real name's Warhammer. We're partners in this. I'm, I'm Professor Podcast. He's Warhammer. And we discuss the contorted epitome, and that's a new model for Slanesh, and uh, that's all I'm going to say about that. We discuss it. We also have a... Let's get brutal with the Pimpcron, where we discuss the second supplement. We're finally wrapping up the second supplement, the Psychotropics, for my 28mm free rules, use your own models, skirmish war game with RPG light elements, as if you've never heard that phrase. And that's about it. So, everybody always says, Pimpcron, what you been up to? And I'm like, shit, I don't know. And what have I been up to? We've been playing a ton of Brutality at the local store. Um, we've got, um, God, actually, the last three weeks, all I've done is play Brutality. I haven't even played Warhammer in three weeks, because every time we go to the club, um, we, we, we go up into club, people want to play Brutality, and I am so jazzed about that. So we've, we've demoed it for, what, three new people in the last three weeks. So that's exciting. 
what am I also doing in my spare time? Well, number one, my real life work is picking up drastically and I'm very busy in the summer. So I have even less time to podcast and write articles and work on brutality and all that than I normally do, which normally with four kids and a wife, I really don't have that much free time to begin with, but I make do. So what am I doing with my meager free time? Well, this is where the old pimp crown gets clutter. As I'm editing the podcast and listening to it, because you realize that not only do I have to record all these podcasts, I have to listen to them all over again at least one time to edit them. So if it's an hour long show, it takes me two hours to, you know, make and, re- and edit. So what I do while I'm doing that is I work on brutality stuff or I paint miniatures or I do whatever. I get to hobby while I'm listening and editing. So... I have been working hard on a new um, token set for Brutality, and uh, we'll be actually selling that. This will be our first product we sell for Brutality. And, of course, it's not needed, like, it's not necessary to play the game, but, man, it makes life a lot easier. And um, so that's what I'm working on right now. We also are slowly creeping towards having a full published book on Amazon, a a full-color, huge rulebook. And, um, that's very exciting to me as well, but boy, the boy, howdy, the, uh, the formatting on that takes a long time as well. So between that and writing a short story for brutality and just, just, I'm, I'm a very busy person. So, and that is in between articles, a weekly article and a weekly podcast. So needless to say, uh, I'm, I'm tired. (laughs) (laughs) But you know what? Like I said before, um, the interaction with you guys, like the call we get from Grendel tonight, really keeps me going. The the whole reason why I write the articles is for the comments. The whole reason why I do the podcast is for the comments and and the feedback and all of that. And I've met so many nice people, either through... Um, through Brutality or through Shorehammer or through Podcast or all that. And uh, just like I met Steve for Mad Robot Miniatures um, today. And uh, it's just, it's awesome. I mean, there's so many nice people in this community. Sure, there's gatekeepers. Sure, there's neckbeards. Sure, there's assholes. Whatever. But that's in any stratum of life that you go to. So overall, my entire impression of this wargaming culture is that everyone's pretty chill. Everyone's pretty nice. And, um... Don't let all the haters and all the negative people in the world skew your view of how nice the average person actually is. All right, well, that was my more you know G.I. Joe moment. Let's get on with the program, shall we? Let's open the Tesseract mailbox. Hey, won't you look at that? This is the Tesseract mailbox, and of course, I am the Pimpcron, as you would assume, right? And... We finally have someone calling into the voicemail. It is a longtime supporter of the show and an overall wonderful person. Uh, his name is Grendel, and he has been one of our Patreon patrons since day one. And he reads our articles, my articles, and he listens to my show and, and all of that. And just general, he's an awesome, awesome dude. So let's hear what he has to say. Hey, Pim Crown, it's Grendel here. Just calling to say good show today. I agree, Titanicus is way overpriced for what it is. Would be cool if it was, you know, like half the price of what they were looking for. But uh, I want that not as well. Take it easy. Well, thank you so much for uh, calling into the number, uh, Mr. Grendel. And I appreciate your input on this. And the reason for that is that 
you know, we often, it's so easy to start becoming jaded and start just crapping on everything that you see. And I feel like we've went through a, a spell of that. Um, a lot of the new GW products we've been pretty critical of, um, even if we like the look of them or whatever, they come out at what, to me, maybe I'm just becoming an old man, they come out to me as a very high price. And specifically, the Titanicus stuff has been exorbitantly priced. Now, another Patreon patron, Nate, he and I had a discussion at Shorehammer, and he said he really likes the Titanicus stuff, and he really wishes <laughs> that we liked it a little more so that, you know, uh, we're not crapping on it all the time. And, you know, honestly, Nate... Um, I feel the same way as you do, honestly. I like the models. I like the terrain. I like everything about Adeptus Titanicus. I think it's a really awesome thing, and I'm happy that they're finally supporting some other game besides Age of Sigmar and 40K and maybe Lord of the Rings. So I'm really happy that they're doing that, but the, with the exception of the little Knights box, everything I've seen for that game seems way, way overpriced. Now, admittedly, you don't need that many models for that game, so of course the models are going to be more expensive because it, there'd be no point for them to even make the game if they're charging regular Warhammer prices for an army where you only need 10 models or something like that. So I completely understand why they price things the way they do, but even their terrain uh, is a ridiculous price in my opinion. And like I said, maybe I'm just getting old. Maybe I'm, you know, they say like at some point in your life, you hop off the fashion train and then everything, everything's scary and new. And I don't want to get like that necessarily, but I'm happy that you write in or you, you call in Grendel because sometimes I, I think to myself, man, am I just shitting on everything? Like, am I just being too hard on everything? Because GW, it's almost a given that their models come out beautiful. I mean, GW always has beautiful models, but the price is just getting to me. I don't know why. Like I said, I guess I'm just getting old. But I do appreciate you calling in, and I should probably share that phone number. I always say that I want people to talk to call into the phone number, and I never, ever share it. So if you want to call and leave a voicemail like our buddy Grendel just did, that's 419-972-1811. That is 419-972-1811 to be part of the Pimpcron Warhammer podcast. And um, I don't know if, if all that fisting talk on the one episode uh, uh, got you guys clammed up or not, but we are actually in need of more fan mail. At some point, I was like eight deep. And uh, people were like, oh, when's my letter going to be on? And this is a couple months ago. And I'm like, oh, geez, dude, I don't know. Uh, sometime. You're, you know, at first I was like, oh, you're second in line, third in line, fifth in line. Once I got to about five or six, I was like, dude, I don't even know. You're going to be on at some point. Um, for some reason, we had a big rush of correspondence, but we are running low on our messages. So I need you to go on your email or get on your phone and either call the phone number or email me at pimpcron at gmail.com or you can even message me on facebook.com slash pimpcron and send me a message. Tell me your thoughts. Um, maybe make fun of the way we pronounce English words. Uh, you know, anything like that. Um, share with us your favorite fisting story. You know what? Don't do that. That was a bad suggestion. Don't share a, a fisting story. But if you have any other neat stories, things like that to share, um, we love to hear from you guys. And your support, whether it be through Patreon or otherwise, sharing it, talking about it, just listening to the show in general is um, a great thing. And it keeps me going, I got to tell you. So 
anyway, thank you for calling in, Mr. Grendel, and um, please stop by and send us an email or send us a phone call whenever you possibly want to, and thank you again for being an awesome Patreon patron. Want that or want that not? The Pimpcron and his little brother, his baby brother, Brubru, are here to talk about the... What is this, Brubru? The contorted... Uh, what? The contorted epitome. Contorted epitome, huh? You gotta speak louder than that, Brohan. Sorry. What the fuck is a contorted <laughs> epitome? <laughs> well, it looks like some sort of portal or gate you're supposed to walk through. I, I have no... <laughs> I have no idea. It's one is dancing like some sort of gypsy, yeah, I don't, and I'm far too happy. They're very happy, and one's like welcoming you, like "Welcome to the yeah. show." There's is that a gate? Is it a chair? Is it? I don't know. Is it like a mirror? Like mirror, mirror on the wall? I almost feel like I should go up and sit in it, and they like carry me around. There's no seat, <laughs> and then there's like people, and there's tails out of something, and what is the tails things? And I, I don't know. And what the fuck is a contorted epitome? Explain that. <laughs> I, I feel that somehow you're responsible for this. Games Workshop did contact me, actually, about this one. And, and they're like, excuse me, Mr. Brubru, what is your gut reaction on what we should call this piece of shit? And um, because I thought it was so stupid, I gave it a stupid name. <laughs> the contorted epitome. So honestly, let's let's try to... So this says it makes casting Slanesh spells easy. Oh, I always want that. Yes. I always have such a hard time casting my Slanesh spells. Well, like it, it hurts to do it. Well, you're in luck. It also will hypnotize your enemies. <laughs> Heavy breathing in the microphone. So, listen to this, okay? The contorted epitome writhes across the battlefield on lashing metallic tentacles. Well, I, they look awfully too happy to be writhing. Oh, yeah, that's true. They're like dancing more. Yeah, they're like all giddy and everything, and it's supposed to be writhing. Dude, um, I don't know. Um... And uh, so anyway, lashing metallic tentacles twisting under the control of its demonette attendants to reflect its enemy's darkest desires and deepest fears. So it's a mirror? It is apparently in a mirror. I did not know this. Okay. But it's oh. like a liquid mirror. So you're literally just scaring people with their own fears. Does it have any sort of attack? <laughs> or is this literally carrying a mirror around the battlefield? <laughs> Breaks very easily. You know what this is? This is the epit. This is, I almost said the epitome. This is the... This is the epitome. This is the equivalent of Facebook bringing back uh, your old posts from like 10 years ago yes. and it embarrasses you yes. and you're like, oh man, <laughs> yellow card. Why did I listen to them? <laughs> I thought that hairstyle was cool. Oh it, my gosh. Exactly. I remember you had the teased up 80s hair in yeah. the late 90s. Yes. It was, yep. it was it odd. Fro before that in the 80s. You were so big into Dog the Bounty Hunter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I had all my leather on and my real <laughs> long gold hair, yeah. Yep. So uh, the the contorted the contorted epitome is a deadly slanesh spellcaster that spells doom for any enemies that dare come close, felling foes with magical spells in Warhammer Age of Sigmar and psychic powers in Warhammer 40k. This magical mirror possess this magical mirror possess a number magic of missile. <laughs> your magic missile. Possesses a number of tricksy abilities. Oh my gosh, they're really struggling with their writing. Here. Negating some of the enemy's most dangerous attacks, as well as hypnotizing nearby units. 
What I can't stand is on product pages when they have to have such descriptions of things that nobody cares about. Like, reading that description, like, okay, their abilities, that's one thing. But the, writhing across the battlefield, blah, blah, blah. You don't have to build me up. Either you like this thing or you don't. Like, I don't, uh. Okay, so do you actually like this model at all? Is it interesting? Is it cool? Would you buy it if you were into this sort of game or whatever? What's your what's your gut reaction on this? To be honest, no, because in my mind, Warhammer is like a battle ga- battle game. And, like, this doesn't seem like a battle weapon at all. Like, this just seems like a... A stationary object. This should be like a, a structure. Uh, this shouldn't be moving around. I'm not. I'm not really sure. I mean, it's it's very busy. Like we we said with the other Slanesh stuff, it's got a lot going on in one model. It's someone like dancing. There's tentacles. There's a mirror. I, I don't really know. And and there's like no outward attack things. Like I know, look like they got blades in their hands and stuff, but it doesn't look like there's any outward. It just looks weird in a battlefield to me. I completely agree with you. I don't... I mean, it's kind of interesting, but what about the tentacles? Like, I'm I'm very, very lost on this model. I don't understand... And, like, the way... Once again, the way they're situated, it doesn't seem like something should be moving. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of models like that from Games Workshop, but it's this seems like, like, hey, come here, <laughs> not us come at you. <laughs> yes. Like I said, it looks like... um, It's like a carnival attraction. Yes, yeah. yeah, like... <laughs> The world's smallest horse behind this, <laughs> this mirror. Like, the world's smallest lady. You know? Yes. Uh, look at this person that looks different from all of us. <laughs> right? Pay money to make fun of them and ridicule them. Do you remember that? The world's smallest woman? I didn't go in there. You guys did. Oh, man. I paid. I, w- I would pay $100 to see the world's smallest woman. <laughs> she, 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 I would pay $100 to have a night with the world's smallest woman. <laughs> So it turns out it was just a two-year-old girl, and I'm like, that's not a woman. <laughs> no, you've got a felony. Yeah, and, no. Yeah. It's a, it actually was a woman, but so like the picture, and, and I'm happy to go off on this because this is a, a, a treasured memory of mine. So these, you know, these things are always, they're always a scheme and always, so the, the painting out front is this woman that fits in the palm of this little boy's hand, right? So clearly I knew that's not what I was going to say. <laughs> Okay. Well, you believe it. You're all excited. I, you were going to steal her. I was going to shoplift her. You're right. And uh, so anyway, and uh, it was this woman that was basically like a like a dwarf or whatever. She she was like three foot something maybe. I mean, she was a, a short person, but she was just a short person. Like there was wow. there was no magic behind it. And, and like it seemed like those things had a lot more effect when there wasn't, you know books and the internet and things you know like in the wild west that was that would be whoa i've never seen that before but but and and she was an old lady and she was bored out of her mind and i don't think she spoke english because people were trying to talk to her they're like oh ask her questions and whatever right and people were trying to ask her questions and she had like four sentences i guess she had memorized she had a thick like um, i don't know uh, I, I picked up hints of Ferengi. I did notice that. She was nude. <laughs> but uh anyway, it was it was just it was a sad <laughs> sad thing. I didn't go in there because I thought I would just feel worse walking out. And you do. You do. When you leave there you so feel bad. I, I don't go to, to um like fairs to pay to be sad. <laughs> so I'll avoid that one. Well, um, is this a now? This is fifty dollars too. Going back to not, not the short lady, but the the weird mirror, the tentacled mirror. 
The contort... What is this again? The contorted epitome? What the fuck does that mean? <laughs> like, I, I'm so confused. The epitome of what? I don't know. And what's contorted? The, I don't know. So anyway, uh, this would not... This would have to be hella good on the tabletop for me to want this. Because yes. I don't... I don't... It's busy. There's one of them doing a belly dance. The other one's like, welcome to the show. And they're standing on tentacles of a liquid mirror. I, this is like a like an LSD trip. Yes. In yeah. my, yeah. I would say it's the contorted epitome of an LSD trip. <laughs> <laughs> this seems like something you see at like a festival or Burning Man or something. Walking around yes. Like, like hey, Coachella. Could, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so um, now fifty dollars beats the hell out of one hundred and forty dollars for that giant demon we were just talking about. So I'm guessing this isn't as big. No, no, it's not. Uh, so $50 is a little more reasonable, but like I said, it better darn sight be good, because otherwise, I, it is a no for me. Yeah, I will say no. Okay. I, mean, I wouldn't buy any of them, but, you know. It's weird how, just because you don't play this game, every one of these models is a no for you. Yeah. yeah. You think <laughs> it's, it's yes. It's weird. Yeah. Now, do we have a budget? Can I spend other people's money? No, I'm <laughs> Well, thank you for being on, and thank you for ter- helping me tear apart this model, because this is just, I, I don't know. I, they're trying to be weird, they're trying to be exotic, and all that, and I'm i am so happy Slanesh is getting more models, because it's been the ugly stepchild of, of Games Workshop for a long time, but... I've always thought that. Yeah, you, you're really, um, you're very pro-Slanesh. Yeah, we have pro-Slanesh, yep. Yeah, and um, it has the highest rate of two-foot old ladies. Did you know that? Two-foot old ladies. Three-foot, whatever she was. Two-foot old ladies? I think that's pretty common. <laughs> I actually think that's the majority. <laughs> Not old ladies with two feet, but two-foot. Anyway, thank you for being on, Brew Brew, and helping me make heads or tails of this nonsense. I'm glad I did you a service. <laughs> Bye. Now, here's an idea. So in this segment of, well, here's an idea, Mr. McStorman and I will be discussing an idea that Mr. McStorman brought up to me. First of all, say hello to everyone. Hi, everyone. And now, tell us exactly what your idea was, Mr. McStorman. Well, I was thinking uh, with uh, us fellow gamers in all of our terrains and miniatures, I was thinking of the, the movie The 40 Old Virgin and how he had his whole entire house full of just collectibles and uh, toys and the gaming stuff and uh, how in the world do you store all this stuff? I mean, I'm trying to think of a way for if you have a boyfriend or girlfriend come over, you know, you don't want to. The first impressions mean a lot, and it'd be nice to have a place where you can store your stuff and not have it on display and scare that person out the door. <laughs> at least, <laughs> at least until they get to know you first. But uh, that's my question or idea, I guess. Find a place to store the stuff. Okay, so we should we should let's let's um uh frame this a little. You've got an hour before your big date. And you've got your significant other, you know, you're probably new to this situation, it's your first date, second date, whatever. And you have to get rid of all your shit, right? Like hide it. Yep. So, um let's let's come up with some ideas. First of all, your car is a good idea. Yep, yep. Um only issue is if it's really cold out or really hot out. Or if you take her on a date, you don't want in your car, you can't oh. do that. That's true. Um, or if you're going to stuff her in your trunk. That, <laughs> <laughs> that would be a big no-no. <laughs> you know, 
every time that I've tried to kidnap and murder someone and I shove them in my trunk and my trunk's full of miniatures, the first thing out of their mouth is, what the hell is all this stuff? Like, <laughs> Yeah, that'd, that'd be my first question. <laughs> for sure. So, uh, so the car is definitely an option. Where else could you shove all your crap uh, nice and neat? <laughs> I would say under uh, cabinets um, underneath the sink. Why not? Okay, Organize. so... So you've got lots of room in there, and most of it's not well organized, right? Yeah, true, I mean, very true. So, okay, shove it under the sink. Um, I'm gonna see your sink and raise you. Shove it under the bed. Um, you just most beds, you know, have room underneath, and just shove everything under the bed. Where else could you hide stuff? Well, I was thinking. I mean, most most uh, people that come over your house, you're dating, they, they tend to become nosy at some at certain point, uh-huh. and they're gonna start looking at stuff or pulling things out and they're, then you're going to see your, your skeleton in the closet and your miniatures. <laughs> uh, you're, you're talking about under the bed. Yeah, okay. basically it's like, uh, so in reality, I think the best option would, you'd have to create like a safe room <laughs> <laughs> for all your miniatures or your terrain. Cause think about it. Like that's the only place where it, no one's going to find it. I mean, that's, that's the only logical thing left. I and mean, where else are you going to put it without that person discovering your, Okay. Hobby. What if you shoved it all in your luggage? Now, see, if you had luggage in the closet, nobody would ever look in luggage. Because how often do you use luggage? No, that's a good point. And I, it usually sits empty. But you'd have, like, 50 things of luggage in your house. Uh, we'll just assume you have, like, one army transport or two army transports worth. Yeah, that, so. that would be more practical, I guess, yeah. In the attic would work if you have an attic. But once again, very hot, very cold. Doesn't doesn't work that well. Where else? Put do not cross tape over like someone died in here and... Try yeah. to keep people away from it, kind of thing. Oh, oh! You just gave me the perfect idea. So, if you've got like a spare bedroom or spare room in your room in your house, uh-huh. you need to um, mark it all off with like police tape. And when your significant other asks, like, "Hey, why can't I go in there?" You're like, "Oh, sorry, my mom died in there." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, the police haven't come to get her yet, so that's kind of off limits. Yeah, I don't think that'll work too well, but yeah. What about in the back of the toilet? You could just shove oh, yeah. a bunch of shit in the back tank of your toilet. Yeah, it's like you're hiding like cocaine or something, <laughs> but you're hiding miniatures. <laughs> or you get a condoms and you can put it in the oh. condom and put a rep your butt. Dude, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, not too many. Yeah. But... Well, I've been practicing for a while, so I could, <laughs> I could do it. I think my count's 13. It's fitting the Land Raiders yeah. up Uranus. That's the, yeah. I don't know what that is, but is it painful? It's, it's a big old vehicle. I'll put it sideways. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, what else could you do? You know, somewhere that your date probably won't look is the freezer. Yeah. They're yeah. not going to look in your freezer. That is true. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Well, some like I said, if they want to get ice cubes, if they want a glass of water, uh, you got to think about these things. You don't mm. want you don't want to set your... And, and the thing is, you shouldn't be ashamed of your hobby. You, don't, you know, you're not ashamed of it, and you shouldn't be bowing down to someone because your hobby. But you want to impress this uh, woman or guy... Mm-hmm. And you don't want to scare them off. And this would be a good way to scare them off via a whole house full of uh, toys, I guess you can say. Yeah. It, it's probably going to come off as immature and whatever. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, just, that's how people are very judgmental right away. Okay. Dump out all your cereal and put it in the cereal boxes, <laughs> right? Because more than likely they're coming over for dinner. They're not coming over for breakfast, yeah, right? Yeah. And you dump out all your cereal <laughs> and put them in the... Yeah. That's a lot of work, but yeah, that would work. You could do it. Yeah, that's that's feasible. If you have a bookshelf, push all of your books farther towards the edge of the bookshelf and then put everything behind your books. That's true. Or, you know, those videos where people have those gun um, gun cases that they hit a button and it opens up and it's like a huge gun 
thing. Yeah, you can have that built just for miniatures. It's a like a like a, a false wall, or <laughs> you just swivel it, and you get a little section that comes out. And it's all your miniatures are behind. That's true. You know what? Too, if you have floor vents in your house, like for HVAC. You just open up the grate and you just throw it all down there. Now, they might wonder if you pack it real tight, like, what's that whistling I keep hearing? Yeah. You know, but I think you're pretty good. The, the best way is just to become celibate and not date, and then you don't have to worry about this stuff. And you just leave it on display. True. And you don't have to worry about impressing anybody. Only God can judge you. Yep, that yeah. is true. <laughs> <laughs> what else? What else? I don't know. It's hard, uh, but. But in all seriously, Snow, but where can you store stuff? If you have a lot of terrain and a lot of miniatures, where can we store it? Because there's not, <laughs> there's not too many places you could hide this stuff. You take the trash can, the trash bag out of your trash can, throw everything in the bottom of the trash can, put the bag back in it, and then put some, like, a light layer. Because, you know, the trash can be half full at this mm-hmm. point. Then put, like, a light layer of, like, scattered trash so it looks like the trash can's half full but it's actually half full of all your shit under the bag. That's a good idea. And if you have a cat, you can hide it in your litter box. You can put miniatures oh, shit. in the litter. That's a good idea. Yeah. That's a good idea. Yeah. Or if you don't have a cat, just buy a litter box and hide your miniatures in. And and then you could also say your cat died with your mom in that room. <laughs> exactly. <Right? laughs> <laughs> or the good old-fashioned, you just bury your stuff in the backyard. Bury it. Just bury yes. it. Buy a Tupperware container, mm-hmm. bury it in the backyard. Well, you want something waterproof. It's got to be waterproof, just in case it rains. Yeah. You know, when you're outside or when that, that night you're with that person. So definitely, definitely want it waterproof. Uh, shove miniatures down in your couch cushions. Yeah. They're not going to yeah. check your couch cushions. That is true, and you might find money later when you <laughs> dig them back out. So it's a, to buy more it's, Warhammer. It's, it's a win-win. <laughs> this is a little silly topic, but it's uh, something to definitely think about if you're trying to have someone over your house for relations that's true because this would definitely not no offense to anybody but this would definitely sour the deal uh depends on who you date really yeah it is but it's a small market yeah you know what i mean well hopefully we've been of of some help to somebody today mr mcstorman i hope so and like i said don't take offense i'm just i like this stuff too but i'm just trying to help everyone and it's something that you, it's a it's a reality you have to think about. If you're bringing someone over to your place and it's it looks like uh, Toys R Us had a baby with I don't know uh, Babies R Us Babies R Us. <laughs> I was trying to think of that store in Salisbury that KB or was it old KB toy, Toys KB Toys. Yeah, I don't think they're in business anymore. No. But yeah, but. it's a real reality, folks. You got to think about this and have a backup plan with your stuff. All right. Well, there you have it. Thanks for being on, Mr. McStorman. No problem, Pimp Cron. Now it's time for Real Talk with Pimp Cron. This is Real Talk with the Pimp Cron. Of course, I am Pimp Cron, and today I'm joined by Steve from Mad Robot Miniatures. Hello, Steve. Hi. And you guys are a website that produces tons of bits and pieces for miniatures. You sell entire miniatures, and you also sell, you know, just heads, just weapons, that sort of thing, correct? We do indeed. Now, uh, my one of my co-hosts, Loremaster Alex, is a big fan of yours. Um, he's actually the one that, you know, referred me to you because he really likes all of your um, different weapons and heads and torsos. And you literally could build whatever you want. And I, I see that on your website you can custom make whole squads, you know, pick out the weapons and the torso and the legs and, and literally create your own squad. So that's that's a pretty cool feature. Well, I agree. It's one of the things I'm most proud of. Uh, that's, you know, 
that was my whole goal from the get-go is to give people the options to make whatever's in their head. If you picture a certain kind of regiment or a certain kind of uh, army in your head, I want to make sure that the parts you need to make that come true are available and easy to find. How long have you been wargaming? How long have you been? Assuming that you do. I'm assuming you do. I've always been more of a hobby guy as opposed to a gaming guy. Um, I've played Warhammer. I've played 40K probably like maybe six times in my whole life. And that was was a number of editions ago back in um, probably fourth or fifth. You know, for me, my fascination has always been the hobby side of things. And in a former life, I worked in retail and, you know, the one place, the last, one of the last retail places I ever worked, I was working in a mall and I would always walk by the games workshop store. Time-wise, that was right around, that was like, I think around third edition of 40K. Mm-hmm. And after I just went in there one day on my lunch break and was looking around and they did the classic two space uh, Marines against uh, two Eldar or something. It took like, you know, two minutes to play a little demo game. And I don't, I was like walking into another universe. I was like, what in the hell is all this stuff? And it was, it was like being, it's like I found my old, my, my, my long lost home or something. It was just, I was fascinated with the hobby, with these little army guys and everything to put it simply. And, um, that's kind of where it started. And I just became fascinated. I would, I bought, you know, I bought the third edition, fourth edition, fifth edition hardcover rule books, and I never played the game. <laughs> I, I, I would just, I'd look at the pictures. It was some kind of hobby porn. I would look at the, all the kick-ass, uh, uh, you know, full-color f- pictures of all these painted miniatures, and I absolutely fell in love with the Imperial Guard. I always kicked myself because right when I walked into the store that day, that was at the height of what I consider to be like the height of the golden age of the Imperial Guard, where they had all those different metal sets for the Catachans and for the, the Talarn and the Cadians, and they each had their own box set. And I wish I would have gotten into it a year or two earlier so I would have had the, the foresight to pick a bunch of those up because now, you know, they're so hard to find complete. Um, but uh, that's kind of the time frame. And then from there, it, you know, like I said, I, I'd always previous to that, like growing up, I'd always been into RPGs. And um, a lot of gaming in that respect, but uh, nothing involving miniatures per se. Um, and then it just kind of blossomed from there. I started painting everything and uh, really got into the the guard stuff and um, started doing conversions. I had a hobby blog for a long time. Um, hmm. It was called it's called the uh, Sadokad Sixteen. Uh, it's been I haven't posted on it in I don't know probably a decade, but I used to be pretty, pretty active on that. And that was, uh, I just loved, I fell in love with converting and doing conversions and just kind of, you know, blossom from there. And then that kind of takes you, takes it up hobby wise to where, um, like that was right around the, the point where Victoria miniatures had just put out like the first little conversion set that she did for, uh, the, the, uh, rough riders where it was, it was metal cast. And that was like the first little, inkling of of third-party bits like the whole you know everything that it is now it just wasn't around back then and Mm -hmm. that's kind of where it all started my next question is how on earth did you get into actually casting and making models because that seems like a huge hurdle to overcome 
And it would seem to me almost like you need some sort of background to even start doing that. It, it, you know what? I felt the same way. Um, and you know, you could say it was fate or, or whatever, but it really came down to a, a matter of, um, at that point I had, I had decided that this is what I wanted to do for a career. And so when that becomes your motivation, you are doing, you are willing to do, or you should be willing to do whatever it is that you have to, to, to make it work. And I realized after a very short period of time that casting was going to be a major cost as a business. And that was going to really inhibit my ability to make a profit. Um, and so I, I had to figure out how to do it myself. And I found, I was very fortunate to find a website called resin addict and it's a hobby forum, primarily about resin casting. It's, um, it's still, you can still go to it. It's resin. I believe it's resinaddict.com or, or .org. And, uh, nobody posts on it anymore. It's closed for posting, but all the information that, that was there is still there and you can look at it. And I just, I dug in, I, I, um, I tried to learn as much as I could. I tried to figure out as much as I could on my own, but there was a core little group of people on that forum that we, we discussed things and how did you get this? And how did you fix this problem when you were casting this up? And, and it was a really, I mean, I don't think I would have really gotten it at all if it wasn't for that, that little website. So today there's a lot more information that's around in terms of uh, the internet and everything. And so it's probably not quite as difficult as it was for me back then, but at the bottom, the bottom line was, it was just a matter of, of necessity. I had to figure out how to do this. And so that's what I did. That's pretty interesting. So you had this goal in your head, this dream business, um, if you will, and then you decided, Hey, I'm going to do whatever it takes to, to make that happen. And that's, yeah, um, that's, that's, that's basically what it was. I was, uh, I worked for GameStop as a store manager for a long time mm. and I, I quit GameStop and I said, okay, now, you know, if I'm going to go do something else, I'm going to do what I want to do. Um, the initial step that I took was to become a bit seller, a 40 K bit seller, where I would just break down kits and sell the parts mm -hmm. like you see people doing on eBay and I absolutely sucked at that. I didn't know what I was doing. And <laughs> I didn't know, like, I, I'm scratching my head, like, you know, how are these people making money doing this? And so I realized straight away that that wasn't going to work. And so I said, well, maybe I should try de you know, developing my own parts. And that really was the core of it. And I started off with just a couple sets of heads. And, and it went from there. I hired sculptors and I, I had somebody else doing the casting, like I said, but it didn't take me very long to realize that that all that extra cost was going to prevent me long term from having some success as a business, and so I took it upon myself to just learn as much as I could on my own, and it kind of blossomed from there. Now that's interesting. That's uh, you've already partially answered one of my questions I had for you is you know learning all the mechanics behind casting and all that. I'm certain was hard enough, but how on earth do you get the sculpts? You say you you use sculptors. Yeah, um, the traditional route at that point um, was just you 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 go on to different websites. You can find um, a lot of it was word of mouth at the time. Uh, you would see somebody so and so did a sculpt, and all the sculpting at that point that I'm referring to was just green stuff. People would make little armatures from wire, mm 
mm-hmm. and then they'd use the green stuff. Uh, sometimes they'd use other other materials as well, and they'd just literally use sculpting tools and and just you know good old fashioned sculpting. Um, and you would see somebody had done this project, and so you'd say, "Oh, I'm going to contact that guy and ask him to uh, hire him to do some sculpts for me." And that's really how it worked. It was a very uh, it's 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 very unlike any um, other business that are any other kind of environment that I was familiar with, because it's all almost all word of mouth. Like you don't know who these people are unless you just happen to run across something they've done and you're fortunate enough to, to contact them. Um, and that's how it started off initially. But then I soon realized uh, that you could do this stuff digitally as well. I, I was, I've always been like a tech fan. I've always been a fan of the way the technology can work. And so I, decided that I was going to go the digital route. And so from there, I found digital sculptors who were available for hire. And, and I started hiring them to make up heads and stuff for me until I could figure it out myself. That's pretty cool. Um, so now, without giving away too much, um, now I'm I'm somewhat familiar with, because I follow a lot of different um, independent sculptors and miniature makers online, and I see most of them do it in metal, and they do like some sort of spin casting where they have these giant plates, and the um, pewter or whatever the metal is they're using right. goes in the center and spins out through the miniatures and out these vent ports, correct? Correct, yeah. Now, how does resin uh, differ from that, or does it differ at all from it? Uh, it's quite different. The The, the basic, basic uh, kind of concept is the same in that you're – you're taking a master model, whether it's a uh, like a green scup, a green stuff sculpt, or a, a 3D printed model. You have a master model, and you're making a mold um, from it, and then you're filling that mold cavity with either metal or resin or some other uh, castable material. Um, that's kind of where it ends. the The metal casting, the spin casting, works from centrifugal force. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's some, there's some pressure in the machine as well. I, I have to admit, I don't have a ton of familiarity with that process only because the, the, the equipment for that is cumbersome and expensive and quite messy. So I never went that route. Um, and it was funny to find out when I decided to go with resin, how many, you know, a whole lot of people still aren't familiar with like resin figures. They don't know how to work with resin. They don't understand the characteristics of it or what, you know, how they should treat it when they're painting it. People are so immersed in the, the world of metal figures. It was quite fascinating to learn that. But the, the process for resin casting is a little different where um, instead of using centrifugal force to pull the air out, air bubbles in any situation when you're casting something, air bubbles are like the number one enemy. You don't want to have bubbles in your cast because that's going to make the cast look like crap. And then, you know, people aren't going to want to buy them. So that's like the one thing you want to always avoid is air bubbles. So the the process I follow and most people follow is a two-step process where you pour your resin into your molds. It's a liquid. Um, You vacuum out all the bubbles that you can, and then you put it under pressure to squeeze out all the bubbles that you can. And if you follow that, that two-step process, um, and then in the midst of that, you're letting the, the resin cure, depending upon the formulation of the resin, it takes anywhere from 20 minutes to an hour. It just depends on the brand and the, 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 the cure time of the resin you happen to be working with. 
But if you do those two things, you're almost guaranteed to have uh, a bubble-free part, and a bubble-free part is a good part. <laughs> now, I do have a little bit of um, uh, just a tiny bit of experience with single side molds, and um, I used to—I don't know if you're familiar with Umu. Um, it's a—it's yeah, a type. Of... I use Umu, dude. Oh, okay. Well, I uh, yeah. years ago I used to make terrain out of it, and I um, made you know little models—not not full models, but like objective markers, simple things. Yeah. Um, obviously one-sided molds. I never even tried to get into two-sided because it was far too difficult. You know, I saw tutorials and stuff. I'm just not bothering with that. Sure. But um, I am familiar with how terrible uh, bubbles can be for your for your casting. Yeah. But luckily, on a one-sided mold using the Umu, all you have to do is tap it. You know, and and try to get those bubbles to come up to the top. Right. But, right. Um, so um, another. This might be a dumb question, but I'm not sure of the properties of resin. Uh, is this an incredibly hot thing that you're dealing with? Like, I'm assuming the metal obviously has to be very, very hot. Is it the same for plastic and resin? It, it's not quite the same. Uh, you, you have to work with a lot higher temperatures when you're uh, literally melting the metal down into a liquid form. Yeah. Um, so that's that requires, like, you literally have to have the, um, uh, what was that, that? That's called the heating element for the, uh, looks like a cauldron where you actually heat up the metal um that goes into that whole thing that i was saying before about there's so much extra gear involved you have it's like it's called the crucible you have to uh heat up the metal and then you you carefully pour it into the mold with the resin it's just a simple inert two-part uh, uh formula you mix it it does warm up maybe you know noticeably but it's not it's not to the point where um it can't be handled or anything like that so I never knew that. So it's similar to epoxy or umu or anything else where you've got two parts and they activate yeah. each other. Yeah, oh. ac absolutely. The, the the basic science of it is the same. As I said before, the um, there, different manufacturers will have different um, uh, different proportional mixes. Like sometimes it's one to one, sometimes it's ten to a hundred, um, and a lot of that has to do with the formulation that they're for that particular kind of resin. Sometimes resins, they'll be, they'll be uh, more resilient to breakage. Sometimes they'll be softer. Sometimes they'll be more pliable. It just depends on what the final product's going to be. And that'll determine uh, how the proportions that you mix it up and, and how long it takes to cure and everything else. Okay. I've got a million dollar question for you here, Steve. All right. Yeah. Why is GW Finecast so soft and flexible? Um, I can't say for sure. The probably the the number one reason is probably just the formulation on what they're using in their resin, uh, and I think that leads to a question: Why does you know why not just change the formulation? Well, it could it could have something to do with how they're molding. It looked to me always like those fine cast molds they were using like their old spin cast molds to just pour resin into them or something. They had them gated. I don't know if this is gonna be. I don't know if you're going to understand this, but they had they a lot of those fine cast models were gated strange where they had all these little spindly gates and, and everything coming off of them. And it just seemed like there were so many places that they had to get the resin to flow into. They might have used a more viscous mix and maybe that resulted in a softer, a, a softer final result. I really don't know for sure, but that's my best guess. 
And you, that does somewhat make sense because um, all the fine cast models used to be metal models. So instead of making whole completely new casts, you would use some sort of formulation that you can still use your your spin casters. Yeah, I mean, that would I have to emphasize that I I really can't I don't want to sound like I know because I don't. Um, That's my best guess. But. You know, as soon as somebody hears this, they'll probably say I'm wrong. <laughs> well, yeah, and I'm not trying to ask you to sling shade at GW. Oh, yeah, no, I'm not. But, I'm not. But, you know, I, I've bought tons of resin things before. Loremaster Alex, uh, like I said, he buys all kinds of stuff from you and from Victoria and from a, a million other places because he really likes – he's got an Imperial Guard army that's completely kitbashed. I mean, every nice. model has, you know, arms from one company, a head from another, and a gun from another, and – I mean, it's completely custom. That's awesome. And all of his resin that he buys, you know, I pick it up and feel it, and it's nice and firm and hard and whatnot. But then if you were to pick up GW, that's the the only resin I've ever... And it's notorious, obviously. It's famous for yeah. being having bubbles in it and being soft and having warped, you know, staffs and things like that. And um, I was just curious what the difference would be, but obviously it must be just the mixture is different. That's the best guess that I can give. I could, I wouldn't be able to come up with any other reason off the top of my head. It it um it has to be something with the formulation that they're using for that. So, what would you say is your inspiration for new models exactly? What how do you come up with your new models because looking at your range of miniatures, you have a lot of different stuff from hooded people to people with um, you know, uh jungle fighters to, you know, all sorts of stuff. Yeah. So, so what what is it that strikes you when you think, you know, you see something or hear something somewhere and you go, oh, wow, I could make a miniature out of that. I could make, you know, a new headset or whatever. Um, what do you find most uh, inspires you to do that? That's a hard question to answer um, because there's there really isn't a definitive uh, particular place. Early on, I decided that – how do I put this? I think people will understand what I when I say this. I I looked to I tried to find common inspiration from some other things that were already out there, mm-hmm. um, and I would I would say uh, you know well I wonder you know like where did they find inspiration to make this and so I'd go back to that and I'd try to be inspired by the same things and do my own um, my own take on those kinds of things, but after a while. Um, I always wanted to hearken back to those old days I was talking about from third edition where, uh, you know, like there were six or seven different Imperial guard regiments and, and each yeah. one different and unique. And I, I so that's kind of what I intended to do when I first started off with mad robot, but I, you know, things kind of changed because after a while you start thinking, well, what can I do that hasn't been seen yet? And I've tried to do some of that over the years, but, um, so that's one way I, you know, what can I find working with uh concept artists sometimes helps. Um, if I can, uh, find somebody who's got, you know, can, I can talk to and discuss a concept with sometimes, a, an artist can pencil it out and, and flesh it out that way. Um, movies obviously are a big, a big way to find inspiration. Um, I've gotten into like post-apocalyptic stuff lately and there's always tons of, crazy things that you can do for uh you know that kind of a genre so i don't know i just i try to find out you know i try to talk to customers i try to talk to you know people on facebook and find out what they're looking for that's another huge way to find inspiration for me is 
in fact, that's probably the number one thing these days is I try to ask people, what do you guys want? And then I make it. it it's one of the simplest business <laughs> uh, models that you can follow. And I think that's why I've managed to have, uh, you know, the, my success that I've had so far is because when you ask your audience what they want, they tell you and then you make it and it works. I mean, that's the best way to go, I think. So do you, when you're designing new, you know, parts or whatever, arms, heads, and whatnot, do you design them with a full model in mind, or do you design them like, um, hey, these heads would look really cool, oh, hey, these arms would look really cool, hey, you know, is it piecemeal, or is it, do you have like a finished model in mind, despite, that's, despite that's customers pretty, being able to make what they want? Yeah, the good, you know, um, for the heads, probably, I don't really pay much attention to what else they're going to go on, the heads, heads are kind of like a free, a free-for-all in terms of of like how you want to, what you want to do and the approach. Um, sometimes heads might not make sense uh, depending on what they are. Like the hooded heads, you talked about those hooded head guys. Uh, uh, those are obviously designed to go with the bodies that I did for them. I don't know how well they'd work out with some of the other things that I do. So there are certain instances where, um, you know, you want to match up, but heads are kind of a free for all. The other parts probably, not so much. I, I try to maintain a certain kind of, um, I tend to, d to design all of the other parts, legs, torsos, arms, as a more of a cohesive kind of concept. So every once in a while, I might do something different on its own, but heads are a free for all. Everything else usually has a common theme. Now, I really like the idea that you can actually customize um, entire units, five-man squads, ten-man squads. I think that's a really cool touch. Um, I don't know what I expect you to say about that, but I was just complimenting you that I really like that idea. I, um, I appreciate that. And, you know, I mean, it, 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 it's just the embodiment of what I've always wanted to do. I wanted to give people, you know, if, if you can – I was always trying to come up with cool taglines for the company, like, you know – silly things like, you know, if you can dream it, do it and that kind of thing. And, and, but that embodies as silly as it is that that kind of embodies what I wanted to achieve with those squad builders is if you want to do something crazy and mix those heads with these torsos and that leg, do it, man, go ahead and do it. That's what the whole idea is, is, you know, how cool is it when, you know, somebody can take an army that they've put together and throw it out on the table and it's no one's ever seen it before, and no one has that army. That's the coolest thing about it for me is you can put something down on the table, and no one's ever seen it before, and you can be that's something to be proud of, you know. Like this is my vision, and it doesn't not have doesn't have to be the same vision that everybody else has. It doesn't have to match up with what everybody else wants to do. It's like if you've got an idea, I want to make sure that you've got the tools to put it together, the parts to put it together, and then go for it, man. Now. Um... Just out of curiosity, do you have anything planned? Um, now, you don't have to answer this, obviously, if you don't feel like it. But <laughs> do you have any you know, new lines or anything that might be coming up in the future without being too specific? Oh, yeah. I've, got, I've always got stuff coming out. Um, <laughs> uh, I just finished up all the, uh, all the 3D on a new tank model. Um, oh. most, a lot of people, you can check out my Facebook page for that. Um, there's a... It's based on a Panther, a World War II German Panther. There's going to be uh, three different hull options for it. I'll be doing pre-orders on that in probably another month or so. I'm still talking to the – I'm doing an outside caster with that because it's just so much uh, work. But 
once I get all the numbers and everything run, I'll be doing pre-orders on the tank kit. So that'll be out by the summer. Um, I have a new set. I worked on a set of rules, uh, post-apocalyptic skirmish rules uh, called Requiem. Uh, The soft release on them for some play testing has already happened. And I'm going to be doing a lot of uh, figures and, and parts for that that setting and that game um, as well this year. And then um, I can I can tell you this is an exclusive just for you. Uh, I have designs already finished and uh, plans for a new regiment based around the idea of like jump troops. Oh, so I already awesome. do I already do um, like a jet pack, like a, a drop pack. Uh-huh. Um, so I'll be doing like a whole, uh, a whole regiment based around that concept and there'll be some other things, uh, that'll go along with that as well. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, I've, uh, perusing your website, I noticed that you do have a lot of post-apocalyptic things. So that would uh, be kind of geared towards the game that's going to be coming out, right? Yeah, that, and also it's just something, I mean, I'm kind of a nut about that stuff. I love all the the movies and I read tons of post-apocalyptic fiction and, and mm-hmm. everything. So it kind of gives me an option to, uh, branch out into that stuff. I doing, uh, doing kind of like the sci-fi regiments and all that all the time can get a little bit tedious. So it gives me a chance to kind of do something else and get my mind on something else for a little while and helps me kind of stay fresh in terms of my creativity. Now, um, I don't recall seeing this on your website, so you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't believe you have any, like, animal heads. You know, like, um, uh, people make rat guard or things like that. Do you have anything like that on your website, or would you ever... Not yet. No. Um, that's actually something else that's coming soon this year. Uh, probably before the end of summer is there'll be some Beastman legs. Ah, cool. Um, The first ones will be wolf, uh, wolf-based, or no, goat-based, but the other, there'll be wolf-based, and I'm, I'm... Depending on if they look different enough, there might be like uh, some other ones as well. Um, that could be cool. Yeah, and then there'll be uh, there'll be some heads. There'll be some animal-based heads. There'll be goat heads, obviously, for the goat man legs. And there'll be uh, uh, I'm sure there'll be wolf man heads. I don't know what they're going to look like yet. I haven't really concepted those out yet. But yeah, there'll be there'll be some. You know, I'm always open to ideas too. I mean, there's I mean, if you can think of an animal, you can probably make it into a head. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, sharks maybe, who knows. Where'd you come up with the name Mad Robot? It it I just was trying it it was it initially meant to be kind of a play on words. Um I mean, literally just the, you know, robots don't usually get angry, so I just said Mad Robot <laughs> because it was something, you know, that would be easy to remember. Um most people, when they ask me what I do for a living, who aren't into the hobby, yeah, they, and I tell them Mad Robot Miniatures, and they're they kind of laugh and smile, and I don't know, maybe that was what I was going for when I came up with the name. Um, despite what some people think, it's not based on uh, Bad Robot from uh, uh, the movies, but um, it just happens to be a coincidence. I wasn't really aware of that uh, company at the time, but. Uh, uh, yeah, that was, that was basically it. I didn't put a lot of thought into it, to be honest with you. I, <laughs> I just, I came up with something I thought sounded cool and unique and I try to let my products speak for themselves. That's why I don't like the green robot that's next to the name. That's not mine. I mean, it's anybody can download that off the internet and use that little robot graphic. <laughs> on anything. So 
it's never been about that stuff for me. For me, I want, that's why, you know, like I don't do a lot of interviews for whatever it's worth. I do a few interviews, like written interviews and stuff. And Mm -hmm. uh, you probably won't ever see my face because I don't, that's not kind of who I am. I want my company to be known for what I make. Um, I don't really want to be out there in front, like with my face on the company. It's, it's, that might hurt sales in the long run, but in the, uh, <laughs> in the short run, it's, it's it's more about the product. I want people to think of Mad Robot, and I don't want them to think of you know some middle aged fart like me. I want them to think of like all the cool, all the cool shit that I sell. So yeah, well, um, I uh, would like to thank you for being on. It's been great talking to you because um, despite some of my possibly stupid and naive uh, questions about the process. Uh, no. It's been very enlightening. <laughs> so thanks, thanks for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. And you know, I'll I'll leave you with this. The only this everything that I do, if I can teach myself how to do it, anybody can. And and for anybody out there who's thinking that they want to try it, I would say try it. If you want to try it, you have to take some time. You have to learn. You have to put some effort into it. But if if you've got that spark of creativity in you. Figure out what tools you can get and and try it, and you'd be surprised how much you can actually do if you just put some effort into it. And you know that's that's inspirational words, and also like you said, nowadays things may be even easier than when you started out because of more websites to tell you how to do things and and all of that. You know, there's more of a community. Absolutely. So, well, um, that would be uh, what MadRobotMiniatures.com, correct? You got it. All right. And also, of course, I'd like to bring up that um, being that you can make any models that you can possibly imagine out of that, um, mostly infantry type models, but tons of weapons and heads and all of that. That would also be great for Brutality Skirmish War game, which I, you know, incessantly whore out on this podcast. So (laughs) I completely I completely relate and understand and approve. Yeah. So, uh. Anyway, thank you very much, Steve, for being on. I really appreciate your time, and thank you for um, answering all my dumb questions. Not at all. It was my pleasure. Thanks, Scott. Let's get brutal. Well, I do believe this here is another edition of Let's Get Brutal with the Pimp Cron, where we discuss my 28mm free rules. Free rules. Use your own models, 28mm skirmish war game with RPG light elements, and we're finishing up the finalizing our coverage of the second supplement that is out called the Psychotropics, and we are covering the very last section of the last region, and that would be the flora and fauna of the mudflats. So, as far as the flora goes, the occasional flower, shrub, or weed can be found in this region, but hardly any of them have any value to travelers or merchants. The tilly twirl is a flower that can be made into an edible tea, but has no real nutritional value. Carmunk roots can be dried and made into strong rope, and some have been woven into cloth. These aren't often harvested because the extreme grip they have on the soil makes digging them up quite difficult. And as just as you'd assume for a mud flat area, uh, that's about it for the flora. As for as fauna, as we previously stated, there is almost no fauna to eat in this region. Insects of various types can be found in the mud, and some are edible, but their small size makes eating them a waste of time, honestly. Dirt diggers are an edible type of beetle that burrows and eats roots underground. They produce a telltale pile of dirt near their burrow entrance from where they dug it out. When hunting for them, 
light a small flame near their burrow, and they will come out to extinguish it by kicking mud onto the flame. That's when you snatch them up. Rendipedes grow to be about arm's length and pack a very dangerous punch. Their inner juices are very caustic and can be used as a metal or jewel cleaner. The bite of this insect causes instant rot of the bite area that rapidly spreads in a day, running dark purple tendrils under the skin towards the victim's heart. They're quite fast, but human-sized people can generally outrun them if they are of at least average athleticism. Now, that is it for the flora and fauna of the mudflats, but I do have a little story um, to share with you, and it's, it's one of my favorites from Brutality so far. It's called Tuck's Trickery. The story of Tuck and his scam is possibly the most famous story out of the mudflats. Tuck was a Schwenin, a crustacean humanoid race with dark blue carapace. He had spent several weeks in the mudflats on his own with no luck finding the fabled treasure. One night he woke from a dream and had a clever idea. He headed to Port Zaytac, and he made wild claims of finding riches in the mudflats and spent every last coin he owned in one lavish night to support his claim. This drew the attention of a powerful merchant named Ilm, and after plying Tuck with alcohol, Tuck agreed to share the location with his new friend. The two of them traveled to the mudflats, and once they arrived at the supposed hole where the treasure was found, Ilm betrayed Tuck, chaining him by his claws to the merchant's cart. I'll gladly take your gold and see how much you fetch on the auction block, dear friend, is what he said to poor old Tuck. Even though Ilm was busy digging in the giant hole, he made sure to keep an eye on Tuck, who was slumped against the cart, defeated and depressed. When Ilm finally gave up his fruitless search, he discovered that Tuck had molted out of his shell and ran off with every valuable out of Ilm's cart. Now that, my friend, is street justice. Uh, I love little stories like this, and I honestly love writing little stories like this. Um, you know, like sort of like folktale sort of stories that no one is entirely sure is true or is not true, but it's still pretty fun to listen to. And um, that is basically it for our coverage of the Psychotropic Supplement. Now, currently, um, I am working on the third supplement, of course. Each one of these are about 30 pages or so, but it is not finished. So, sorry, you're not going to be able to, uh, to get that just yet. We release about one per year, honestly. Um, so, I would really like to thank you for listening, and as always, we very much appreciate you listening and sharing and commenting and calling the voicemail and emailing us with questions or comments. And um, absolutely, I would like to thank all of our Patreon patrons because, um, you know, we're just a little outfit here and uh, every little bit of support really helps us. So if you don't mind and you want to help the show, a great way to do that would be to go to any of the host services that use us, uh, that we use, like Stitcher or iTunes or Podbean or anything, and please leave a uh, rating of our show and tell us what you think about it, and that will help other people see our show on searches. Also, um, of course, there's the Patreon, and we give you know freebies each month out to the patrons. As far as um, uh, I'm currently making a book for um, Wargaming and. We're giving away parts of that for free every single month. And, of course, Patreon patrons will also be getting a discount when the book finally hits the shelves. So, I think that's about it. Thank you very much for listening to the PimpCon Warhammer Podcast, episode 38. And we will see you next Monday. Stay sexy. <laughs>